are you selling for a what I might refer to as a scrappy startup? And the reason why I ask you that is a lot of the times what I hear from both sales leaders and sales reps is that they're selling at a startup where the comp plan hasn't been fully fleshed out. Maybe you're on a team where quota is being established and no one's hit quota yet. Maybe you're on a team where there's very little process on how to sell or how to do outbound. And maybe the game plan is switching every week and you don't have the most case studies or success stories or a verticalized approach that's you know segmented by industry and you know that kind of stuff. Uh, if you are in that situation <laughs> or anticipating getting in a situation like that, uh, first off, you're not alone. Uh, second off, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about with our guest. So make sure to stick around. My name is Jason Bay. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. My mission is to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So today, we're going to be talking about how to sell at a scrappy startup from a guy who's done it many, many times. He's a guy that I've become good friends with over the last couple of months. His name's Greg Refner. He is the CEO and founder at a company called Abstract.ai. Abstract, pretty cool company. So they don't do the normal kind of conversational intelligence that's really reactive, right? Where we listen to a recording, look at feedback, analyze trends, that sort of stuff. Their software is pretty cool. It actually has live in the moment coaching. So one of the things that we're going to get into is... You know, with a solution like this, being at a startup like how he has, he's got to sell against some pretty, you know, big names, right? The gongs, the chorus AIs, all of those kind of folks, uh, the wingmans. And one of the big things that we get into is a couple of things. One, how to own that narrative. So how to be direct and really kind of pitch the story about how someone could be an early adopter and really get to shape the product roadmap. One of the things he's going to talk about is how to, you know, really kind of target better, how to be really relevant and have really good reasons for people when you're reaching out to them. One of the things he's going to talk about is staying focused. So one of the things that can be really kind of tough is you might be in a position where as a rep, especially, or even as a sales leader, uh, managing up. So knowing how to say no to an executive at your company that might be asking you to do a lot of different things that become a distraction and make it hard to really focus. We're going to dig into sales process. And lastly, we're going to dig into some really interesting stuff around abstract in the platform and some findings that they've had. One of them is around objections. And there are types of objections that come up 91% of the time in the people that make cold calls through their platform. Yet companies spend very little time training around those objections. So you have to stick around for that one. Uh, So make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show so that you can get notified of future episodes like this. And uh, let's get to the interview. So I got to ask because I was doing some perusing on your on your LinkedIn, personal trainer. How do you go from personal trainer into salesperson, sales leader, now founder? What was that first thing that got you hooked on sales? So when I was a personal trainer, um, there was a, a basketball player in the Sacramento Kings. 
that had an accident working out. And uh, you know the big gym balls, um, you know, big round 40-inch balls, whatever they are. Um, he was doing dumbbell press with on, on one of those balls with like 80 pounds in each hand. And the ball burst underneath him. Oh. And he fell on his back, broke both of his arms, ended his career. And at the same time I was a personal trainer, I was actually going to school to become a physical therapist. And I was focusing on like stroke rehab. And one of the biggest things is there's this like psychological inhibitor stroke um, victims have where they, um, they see something and that visual of an unstable surface kind of causes them to not perform well physically. And so they, one of the key things you want to get stroke patients doing is like um, being exposed to unstable surfaces. Well, that unstable surface creates apprehension and tension in the stroke victim. And so they can't go into that unstable surface. So those two events were kind of simultaneously happened. And so I invented a piece of exercise equipment called the core bench. Um, it was essentially an unstable surface on a steel metal workout bench and um, had some success with that. Um, the bench is still used in almost every NBA um, gym today. Most MLB teams are still using it. One of my most fond memories was I actually got to train Drew Brees um, in the Saints locker room on the bench. Um, nice. I ran the company in the grounds. I didn't know how to manage a business, um, but I loved selling my own product. I loved kind of getting people to sign a contract and pay for something. And that was kind of the genesis um, of me wanting to get into sales is kind of saw a problem, invented a piece of workout equipment and just had so much fun selling it. Didn't know what I was doing from a business standpoint. And then one of my uh, good friends at the time was like, hey, you seem to be enjoying sales. Why don't you get into software sales? And um, next thing you knew, I, next thing I know is an SDR, the company called Acton Software. Is Acton based in Pure in Portland, Oregon, actually? They are. They are. They, uh, they're not so well known anymore. Back in the heyday, they competed pretty head-to-head against HubSpot, Marketo, and Paradox. Yeah. But um, they could never keep up from a product standpoint. So they, uh, they've kind of become like a DEF player in the marketing automation space. Yeah. What? Okay, so let's just backtrack a bit. I got to ask you, selling that first core bench, uh, that machine, what was that experience like? What were you feeling? Were you scared? Were you nervous to sell it? Were you like feeling overconfident about it? Like what was going on in your head? Uh, so the first sale I had, actually, we went to a trade show uh, where I kind of introduced the bench to the world. And it was the most hideous, like unorganized trade show booth you've ever seen. We literally were duct taping pictures that we took like the day before with like friends working out on the workout bench, like on the walls behind the bench. And this guy walks up to me. He's like, Hey, I want to buy one. I was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. You, you want to what? <laughs> and, um, I, I couldn't sell it to him actually. Cause I had no way to like accept money. Um, I only had the one version, the one prototype. So the first sale I got, um, was a complete disaster, Jason. Um, I couldn't actually deliver on the first sale at the time when that person came up to me and asked to buy uh, our first core bench. Um, so the first quote unquote sale, the first person who wanted to buy one actually had to wait like three months for actually us to produce it. 
um, oh, wow. and get shipped over here and stuff. So the first sale was a complete disaster. Good thing you're selling software now, right? Where it's just like it's there, it's ready to go. It's like <laughs> that was that was a hard lesson with manufactured goods is that yeah. supply chain and um, shipping and cost of goods, like those are all real struggles. And I have a, a very huge appreciation for anybody who actually wants to get into anything that's like actually manufactured. Um, mm-hmm. We have a very lucky in the software sales world for sure. Yeah. So I want to ask you, we had talked about the theme of this episode kind of being this selling for a scrappy startup, which you have so much experience doing. And I relate to you a lot in this regard too, because I've always been kind of a scrappy, you know, like my first kind of full-time job was, uh, I got hired on as a marketing director for a company that sells a lot of house painting services across the United States. And I was like ahead of like marketing and then also like a corporate sales trainer that would travel around. But the first thing they tasked me with was building in a call center. And I had no idea what call center software was, <laughs> like what a predictive dialer is. Do we need headsets, cubes? How do we get them data? How do we get to sync up with the, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I really relate with you in that regard. I'm curious though, because sometimes what I hear reps talk about that are in these positions selling for these startups is there's they find it hard to be really confident when they're selling because they are unsure about the company's ability to kind of deliver on their promises because maybe it's something that's a little bit outside of their normal ICP. Maybe it's something that's a little bit of a bigger company than they normally would sell to. What was that experience like for, for you? Did you go through any of that kind of journey? How do you, how do you deal with the, the kind of the mindset piece behind that? There was an act on, um, and then all bounds. There was so many times where I would get off a call and be like, I don't think we can make this work. Like they, like they are so far beyond advanced, um, of where kind of our product was. And what I came to realize is that if you own that, as part of the sales process, you acknowledge that and you're upfront about it, kind of where you're at as a company. Um, I have found that prospects lean into that story. The right prospects will lean into that story. They want to be a part of something. They want to be an early adopter. Um, and so initially I would be like, ah, I can't, I can't close this deal. Like this is going to fall apart. But then I realized that people, if you were honest about it, like even an abstract, like we tell people, Hey, you know, we've been in business two and a half years. We've had customers for about a year now. Um, we're very early stage. Yes. There's risk associated with that. But on the flip side, you have a direct say in the product roadmap. You have my cell phone number. Like if you need something, you call me and the right prospects will lean into that. And I, I found that owning that and giving folks an opportunity to be part of a story or part of success, something that they can say, Hey, I was an early adopter in that. I feel like, um, regardless of company, there's people out there that lean into that and want to be a part of that. And I learned to, uh, to leverage that to my advantage. That's interesting. I never thought about it under that context. When think of the biggest software companies in the world, they all had their first set of customers that took chances on them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
know, every single one of them had to get these first customers. And I love what you said around owning the narrative. It's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, this is kind of a funny story. I got a bloody nose in the middle of a training call last week. Okay. <laughs> There's like several thousand people on there. And what I was thinking, I don't normally get embarrassed about stuff, but I was like, oh God, there's like 40 people on here and I have a nosebleed, you know? And I had to go to the doctor one time and the doctor told me like, dude, Jason, you just need to stop picking your nose. That's, that's what's going on here. This, this was a little different. This is from allergies though. So um, I thought in that moment, I was like, I could either just own this or pretend like I have to go to the bathroom, you know? And even something really silly like that, like, Hey, you guys, I'm sorry. I have allergies. I get nosebleeds. Like, give me a minute. That's that makes me feel way different because I'm just owning it and we don't have to think about it any more than what it is and we can just move on. And I think that this is kind of going on with what you're saying too, where it's like, yeah, let's just be upfront about all of this stuff. And more importantly, let's help you figure out if you're in the bucket of an early technology adopter or not. And it almost is like a I think the best, let me know what you think of this. I think one of the best positions to be in in sales is when you put something like that out there and it's like a take it or leave it kind of thing. And, and you're like, Hey, it's, it's okay. If this is not for you, actually tell me why this might be, 100%. A fit. you know, and then they're almost like selling you on why they would be interested in participating in that narrative and that story with you. What, what do you think? I 100% agree. Um, and I would also say when you own that, it immediately takes away your competitor's opportunity to use that against you. Um, one of my favorite things that to use, if someone ever asked me like, Hey, you know, how do you, how are you different than your competition? Um, we got asked that all the time at all about how are you different than Salesforce communities? How are you different than in partner? And I would always flip it and say, well, if you asked Salesforce or you, if you asked in partner, they might say we're a young company and there's risk associated with that. And you know what, Jason? That would not be untrue. We are a young company. But what you get in return is you get scrappiness. You get an unrelenting desire to help you become successful. And so own it, control the narrative, and then your your competition can't use it against you when you're the one that brought it out and put it out in the first place. Yeah. You're taking away the objection. You're antici- You're anticipating it and taking it away, and there's... I don't even know what that is, but there's something that do you, when people are selling solutions to abstract, actually, do you hop on many sales calls where you're being sold to these days? Uh, I have not had a single vendor that I haven't already done business with in previous roles, reach out to me and try to sell me something. Really? Shocked. Like shocked and like I'm waiting for the first day someone tries to cold call me. I am waiting for like an email. I'm waiting for a LinkedIn message. Like don't get pitched to. Oh, this is crazy. The The reason I was, you're probably going to get like hit up by a bunch of, cause there's a bunch of salespeople. <laughs> 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 you know, um, the reason I was asking that is that I find and the vendors that we work with, I mean, we're a small business. Uh, I I still really like working with that smaller company that's going to give me really good customer support. And we were talking about this before we hit recording, and 
won't mention the company names, obviously, but there's some very big vendors out there in the sales space that they have a really great product and really poor customer service. And there are so many people that would take a quote unquote inferior product just to have comfort in knowing that someone's going to answer their email when shit hits the fan. You know, 100%. that is such a big 100%. motivator for people. I think um, there's a lot of technologies out there today that have been commoditized. Um, technology, like it, it's not hard to take take something and duplicate a functionality from a competitor's product into your product when you understand maybe the, how the code works and things like that, right? Like there's there's a lot of products out there that send emails. There's a lot of products out there that schedule emails. Um, the point of differentiation really can be the experience of working with the person who picks up the phone when you call for support. And in the game of LTV and kind of the multiples companies and especially in the SaaS space are looking for, like the cost to support that customer is pennies compared to what they could be worth over the course of five years, seven years. I just, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's crazy. So this mindset piece, I think this is a really big kind of first part of it. So what I took away from that is like really owning the narrative, uh, especially in your head and turning your quote unquote weakness into a strength. It's like, just, just own this. And there are certain companies that won't be on board, but a lot of them will. And a lot of it's just owning it. It reminds me of the, 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 the man or woman that is not as confident all right, sorry, not as good looking, but very confident. It like puts them up a couple points on the look scale. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. You get like you get like two, I think. I think yeah, that's what I was saying. You get two points. So same same yeah. kind of thing. Um, okay, so what about? I think another thing that we could talk about is uh, kind of targeting. I think is a really interesting challenge in a scrappy startup where you don't really maybe have clear ICPs or maybe there's a vertical that you've established that's pretty good or, you know, you're maybe kind of figuring out what personas still are going to be receptive. What's your experience been in that area? And what do you, you know, sort of recommend again, if I'm a rep or I'm a sales leader and I'm thinking about, Hey, we don't really have like clear targeting. What should we be focused on and how should we kind of think about that in your experience? That's such a good question, Jason. I, um, I've had a lot of conversations with VCs this week um, as we're closing out our seed round. Um, oh, congrats. Awesome. Thank you. That, that question comes up all the time because they look at our website and they see that we have a handful of different like verticals or markets where we play in. And I think this, this is a tough question this is, this is tough for someone in like a sales capacity to kind of understand or, or to think about if they, the company needs to be, let me back up. So here at, at Abstract, we have a handful of different verticals. And one of the, well, the question was like, who's your ICP? I don't know who my ICP is. Um, and the reason I don't know what that is, is because we have a couple different verticals or markets. One have a, one the one that has the fastest sales cycle and the highest ACV has our slowest time to launch and our lowest number of percentage of daily active users. So they close fast for a high dollar amount, but they take forever to implement. And of once they get implemented, they have our lowest daily active users. 
our slowest sales cycle, our smallest deals are the fastest to implement. And on average, about 90% of their users are daily in our platform. So when I think about ICP, I'm looking at it from like long-term, which one of these customers is going to churn, which one has the greatest opportunity to upsell. That's hard to do if like I'm a sales rep at a company where you don't have insight into some of those metrics. And so what I would say is when you're going out and trying to find your ICP, have a thesis, have an hypothesis of who you want to go after and draw a line in the sand for when you're going to stop going after them if success isn't found. And success could be we've generated opportunities, um, we have closed some deals. It's uh, it's tough at an early stage. And I think one of the things that Scott Salkin, our CEO at Allbound, was okay with, he's like, let's go close every deal possible and let's let that help us figure out who our ICP is because we don't know. And so let's go close customers in healthcare. Let's go close customers in manufacturing. Let's go close customers in B2B SaaS. And a year from now, we'll have an answer to that. And his commitment to us was, we'll have enough money in the bank to help us last that long to where we can get that answer. And so there's a couple different things there. I think it's um, it's not an easy answer. You just got to try stuff out and then go ask like, Go ask your CEO, go ask your VP of customer success. If you're in an early stage startup, like which customers are actually closing the fastest and actually using the product the most. And that might help give you some direction. Well, just the answer to those two questions alone would give you so much data. Um, yeah, I asked that again because a lot of reps listening to this are probably in a situation like that where just asking a couple questions and looking at the data can really because I'm thinking someone that's doing a lot of outbound too, you know, because with outbound, it's like, you gotta, gotta pick some niches. Otherwise your messaging is just going to be extremely broad. So what about, I love that your focus by the way, is on long-term retention of customers. You know, it's such a, a big thing where I don't sell software, but in our individual program and uh, outbound squad, we have a pay by the month or pay for an annual, you know, kind of thing. And it's really easy to just push for annual payments or a year long contract and not really think about it after that. And then before you know it, 12 months down the road, you're dealing with all this churn, you know, cause you didn't deliver yep. on your stuff. It's really easy to, as a software company, I would imagine that's getting funding to feel pressure, you know, to kind of do that stuff. So, Okay. From a targeting standpoint, like if we kind of transition into, you know, customer stories, that's always what people talk about is, you know, case studies, customer stories. What's that journey been like for you at Abstract in terms of, uh, you know, because obviously that's one of the big things in a sales professional's arsenal is to have those kind of stuff. But what's that been like for you? I guess that journey, because you guys have a ton of that on the site now, but what was that like selling without some of that stuff? (laughs) <laughs> you at the beginning, what, 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 what did you do? You know, when people ask you, so who are you working with? You know? Uh, so this is going out into the world, I guess. Um, all right. I just own it. I mean, sometimes you make stuff up, man, like early days. Sometimes you have to, uh, you just have to kind of grow into it. Um, because you don't have those customer stories. 
I feel like in a lot of ways I've been, I'm blessed to have started a software in which I am the target buyer. I am the target persona. I, I was that person for eight years, whether as an end user or as a sales leader. Like, And so when I go into conversations early stage, it was, we wanted, I started abstract to solve for this, this, and this. Do any of those resonate with you? All the time. Yes, those absolutely all resonate with me. And so when we think about messaging, if I'm an SDR and I'm going into healthcare, um, or let's finance, you know, we started our company to solve for this, this, and this. Are you struggling with any of those things today? And so I think it's regardless of kind of the, the market or the industry you go in, if you're a scrappy startup and you know the pain points of that executive in that vertical at that time, so like relevance and reason, I would talk about that all the time in outbound prospecting, um, Use the language that they use, right? Maybe if you're a very early stage cutting edge, maybe you're helping them describe the problem. Maybe you're helping them put a name to the problem they don't know how to describe yet. And so I think that's something that you can do when you don't have the big logos, when you don't have the case studies, is just maybe help them describe the pain that they're that they're facing. They just don't know it yet. Um, or use the language that they use. And that's, you know, you could probably figure it out in half a day by calling a few folks and saying, hey, I'm asking for some feedback um, in terms of what language I should use. What are your pain points? Ask people to help you and they generally will. So I think that was a very long-winded answer, Jason. Uh, no, I, I like it. Do you find with, because when you started Abstract, you know, in software, so you guys started it, what, two or three years ago in software, people kind of know what call recording is and conversational intelligence and, you know, that sort of stuff. And some of these other verticals, you know, cause you work with like recruiters and contact centers and that kind of stuff. Do you find that the market is less educated? And if so, do you approach those conversations any differently? Love that question. So it's, it, what's fascinating. They don't know the technology, don't know it exists. Um, but they have models and their whole thesis on how they train people and how they measure people is perfectly tailored for the way abstract works. And so it's a little bit different, right? You have B2B software, conversational intelligence, natural language processing. Like these are, everybody knows what these things are in B2B software. Often they don't know and they don't, they haven't wrapped their head around how to apply the technology to their sales process. Contact centers, recruiting, they don't know the technology exists, but they've already wrapped their head around how to apply the technology if they find it. And so absolutely, it's 100% different. Tell me more about that. Uh, which part? So the other parts outside of B2B SaaS, they already kind of know how they would utilize a technology like this. They don't really understand very much about the technology though, or whether it exists. So how do you yeah, talk to them? I guess that's my question. How do you, what does the first sales interaction, you know, kind of sound like? Cause a lot of your stuff is, I think, coming in through inbound referral channels, that sort of stuff. What kind of education does someone 
in these industry verticals have coming into this, you know, and, and maybe if I could, one other thing, I'm curious if you get the, oh, this is just call recording. We can already do that. We already record our calls. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what does that sound like? What are you, what are you talking to people about? So, um, on that kind of first discovery call, let's say it's a contact center, it's, um, you know, what's, we, we talk a lot more about efficiencies. Um, I would say kind of lagging indicators as opposed or leading indicators as opposed to lagging indicators. Um, B2B software, like a lagging indicator of success can be a meeting booked or a qualified opportunity. So indicators of future success. Um, in kind of the recruiting world, we talked about like leading indicators, um, compliance, um, your, your patience on a call, your interruption period, and how are you measuring those? And then how much time are you taking out of your day to QA those calls? And it becomes almost like a, a time-saving thing, an efficiency gain, because that's one person who can now QA 600 calls as opposed to eight calls or 10 calls. Um, when we get into the world of B2B software sales, that kind of efficiency language falls on deaf ears. Um, the idea of you know, measuring somebody on their interruption or their patience on a cold call is not something I've found that anybody has any interest in talking about in B2B software sales. Yeah. <laughs> So the things that they're looking to measure in like an insurance contact center world, they already are trying to measure those, but they're doing it manually with a human. And so the idea of like, oh my God, if this technology could do this, this, and this, and we're like, and we show the demo and they're like, yep, check, check, check. So they already have an idea in their mind of what they want the technology to do. They want to measure kind of how often somebody's interrupting people. Are they adhering to certain things? And it's almost like if they knew about Gong, if they knew about Chorus, they would be buyers of it already. Um, I'm just thankful they don't know about those tools yet. Yeah. So what I heard there is really understanding what the prospect measures and what's important to them and helping them do more of that. And it's the same solution, no matter what vertical you're selling it into. It literally is the same solution. You're not customizing it in any way. It's, it's the same exact thing, just different language. And it's one thing I always try to explain to sellers is that because the very first thing that I'll do when I'm working with a team on outbound is we create a, a messaging matrix and it's basically a table of, Hey, people like Greg, he's a VP of sales. Uh, what are typical priorities for someone like this? What are the problems that get in the way? How are they typically solving for that right now? And what do they want? And like, you have to start the conversation with something they already want to accomplish and then attach your thing to that. It's not about getting them to care about something they don't already care about, you know, with abstract and just any of your other previous experience, was there anything that you did that was intentional around learning what's important to your customers and the language that they use? Was there like, did you do customer interviews? Did you keep logs of stuff, documents, notes? How did, how do you keep track of all of this stuff? Um, so yes, one of the things like at act on software, I went and I listened to every single webinar I could find being put out by HubSpot, by Marketo, by Pardot. Um, I immersed myself in the language that our competition was using to figure out how they were talking about the pain points of the market. Um, 
did the same thing at Allbound and partner Salesforce communities, channel activity. I went out and I, I, because, you know, take advantage of their kind of wide net that they've already casted of their knowledge. And so I found that it was an easy way to go out and kind of learn the language and learn the lingo of the market that I was going into and how other vendors were talking about their solutions and the problems. Um, at Allbound, we didn't have a lot of customers. There weren't a lot of opportunities to talk with customers before we went out to try to sell. And so Jen Spencer, the VP of marketing at that time, she had a great idea where she actually had, she started her own podcast. And so we brought heads of channel sales on board and it actually turned into pretty sweet lead gen, demand gen kind of activity. But ultimately we started recording podcasts with heads of channel, VPs of channel, and we would hear about their pain points. We would hear about their problems, what they were trying to solve for. And we would take literally whatever words they used and we would use that in our copy for our outbound prospecting. Like literally just take it from the podcast guests. And so it was kind of our hack around not having customers to talk to. We'd go find and use kind of play to their ego. Hey, come talk about your experience and your awesomeness on our podcast. We would turn around and use that messaging. Uh, I did the same thing at Abstracts. We've had a podcast for two years and a lot of it was, let's go out and validate some of our thoughts around the market. Let's get a bunch of sales leaders, thought leaders in the, in the sales world. Let's see what language they're using to describe how they're trying to solve problems. And let's go use that language on our website. Let's use that language in our prospecting, use that language in our demos. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, the podcast piece. Some of these bigger companies, well, I don't, you, know, you don't even need to be a big company. Like you, It sounded like a, starting a podcast was one of the very first things that you guys thought about from a marketing standpoint. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's such a basic thing. There are so many huge companies right now with no podcasts. I'm like, that's a differentiator. You know, if you're listening and you're a sales rep or a sales leader and you're at a scrappy startup, start a podcast and then feature the, whoever the expert is at your company, you know, um, that's building the product or one of the founders and just co-host something and start interviewing people. It is the, like you said, easiest form of legion you can ever ask for. And if nothing else, you're, you're networking and you're, you're bringing on people that represent your target market and you'll be able to ask them questions and learn, learn about their world and the language they use. Absolutely. And I mean, again, there, there was a little bit of ulterior motive there where we knew that the people that we were interviewing were going to go out and share it on their LinkedIn. They were going to talk about it. They were going to be proud to talk about it. And so it helped us get some exposure very early on. And it literally only cost us our time, right? We had a free Zoom license. We could record 30 minutes. Um, we kept our podcast to 30 minutes. So it was like, it was all just, it was free to go out and kind of do that customer research um, before you actually have customers, before you actually know what messaging you should use. Like it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to go out and get some validation and market awareness around your, your product and your solution. Love that, man. Um, okay. Let's talk about sales process. So what another... <laughs> Another thing that I hear a lot too is people are selling and they're walking into a situation where there isn't really a formal sales process. Maybe their company's provided them with a deck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a few case studies. 
and they're not even sure, like, do I demo in the first call? Should the first call be 60 minutes? or? Th- I mean, they're still figuring out all of that kind of stuff. What advice do you have for someone in a situation like that based on your experience doing this a bunch of times, just figuring out what the sales process should even look like? Um, what I would do is I would go get demos from all of your competitors and see how they're running their sales process. Um, that would be something that I've always done is try to get demos from everybody um, to see kind of how people are, are thinking about presenting their solution to the market. And then the second thing that I've always believed in is let the prospect determine how they want to buy. Like there's really no reason to force people into any type of sales process. It's I think it's selfish when companies try to force prospects into a sales motion. Um, I think there's enough research out there to that people already kind of generally know what they want to know before ever talking to a sales rep. And so when they show up and get forced into this box that no one wants to be forced into, I think it just creates friction and lengthen sales cycles. Um, more kind of specific on every single first call that I ever have with somebody new, the first thing I always do is a takeaway. Um, and it works like magic every single time. Like, hey, Jason, awesome meeting you. Before we begin, set a quick agenda. Uh, my goal here is that we want to find out as fast as possible if we're a good fit for you or not. If we can help you, awesome. We might jump into a demo. If we can't, my goal is to tell you as fast as possible and give you 20 minutes back in your day. That's not like a plan? Yes, it does. Cool. Then they... In, Every time works like a charm, they instantly open up and everything they're looking for, what they like, what they don't like, who they looked at, because walls are down. So do your research on your competition. Don't force people into a box. Lower those walls and those protective kind of mechanisms against salespeople as fast as possible. And everything else, I hate decks. Like I will never use a PowerPoint deck my entire life in a sales process. Um, But some people like them and some larger larger enterprise buyers want some of that validation from the market on kind of who they're looking at. And so I think it all is just fluid and dynamic based on what the prospect wants. Yeah. The piece that you did there at the beginning of the call, I really like because it's, uh, it's telling you that I don't, I'm not going to try to push this down your throat and like sell you something that you don't need. And it's such a simple thing to do. And it's, so refreshing, you know, to a buyer to come into a situation like that. Tell me more about your take on, on slide decks and stuff though. So uh, what do you, what do you use in, instead of that? I always, every single time I start with the customer's website up, um, whenever I start sharing my mm-hmm. screen, um, that I, I do everything I possibly can to make it about them. Um, my S- my SDRs here at Abstract, they <laughs> Tiffany was like, "Why don't we know more about the product?" Um, because your job is not to know about the product. Your job is to find pain points and be relatable and make sure that that person on the other end of the phone call understands that this is about them, not about us. Um, I think that extends into the sales motion, especially on a first call. The moment you throw up a slide deck that meeting becomes about you as the vendor. That meeting is not about your prospect anymore. Unless everything on those slides is everything about your prospect, 
which 99.9% of the time it's not. Um, that meeting is now all about you and showing the prospect how awesome you are, right? Um, prospects don't care what you did for that company over there. They care about their problems and their world and what you can do to help solve those problems right then and there. And so I just think it's a very selfish approach to sales motions 90% of the time. Yeah, it's mostly the NASCAR decks, uh, slides as they call them, right? The logos that we've worked with, here's how our stuff works, features, benefits, you know, that kind of thing. Did you yep. use any conversational intelligence software prior to starting Abstract? Were you a customer of some of these? So I was a huge fan of Gong. I think I was a very early adopter of Gong. Yeah. Um, the case, case study I did with them at Allbound, I think, is their still number one most used case study. And so I've been a huge fan of their product. Um, I think up until this time I started Abstract, Amit still answered my emails and phone calls and LinkedIn messages. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was a, a huge fan of that. And I, I am thankful in so many ways that they kind of laid the foundation for what conversational intelligence is today and kind of breaking down that barrier of um, how natural language processing and call recording can be used in sales motions. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about abstract. I'm curious what have been, we've kind of teased some of the stuff out and we'll be doing some webinars and stuff later on it, but what have been some of the interesting things that you have found either that customers have found about their own, you know, reps and that sort of stuff or that you found and just some of the data. Uh, this one's awesome. Thank you for asking that question. Um, what's been fascinating is, and it shouldn't have been fascinating. Um, it, it, it should not have been a surprise to me because I've experienced it throughout my sales career as an individual contributor and a sales leader is our focus is mainly at like the SDR BDR level. And we go through implementations where we have recommended responses that are built out. So essentially the system is listening for this keyword or this phrase and then when it hears that by the prospect, it delivers, here's your recommended responses. Um, we had one customer build out like 80 of these, every single competitor, every single product question, um, and nearly every single one of them went unused. The objections that people face across all of our customers in the B2B world, I think it's 91% of all objections are, I'm in a meeting, how did you get my phone number? Can you call me back? I'm not the right point of contact. And what's the other one? What's the fifth one? I heard the fifth one is, but general brush offs. Yeah. At that SDR BDR level, they are not getting product questions. They're very rarely getting price questions. Competitors very rarely come up. And the interesting part is so few of our customers actually have recommended response cards built for those. They focus on all the things that they think are actually coming up on calls and aren't actually building anything for what's actually coming up on calls, which kind of scares me a little bit because that means that they're not actually listening to as many calls as they say they're listening to when they're doing audits on their team. Yeah. This is really interesting to me because it's, because uh, as a sales trainer, you always want to think about what am I training people on and what am I focused on and how am I finding a balance which is kind of tough sometimes of uh, what people think that they want help with versus what they actually need help with, you know? Yep. 
And it doesn't surprise me that a lot of them are shallow objections because, you know, in a cold call, especially, I mean, it's such a, you know, a person picks up the phone and they're task switching. I mean, they're doing something else. They're not giving you the attention they would obviously in a disco call or a demo, you know? So 91% of objections are ones basically that companies are not preparing their reps on how to handle. That's pretty funny, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny. It's scary. It's painful. Um, And it's, but that, on the other hand, like I'm thankful that 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 happens because like we can come in and we can become such a a needle mover so quickly um, for our customers. And so on one hand, I'm thankful for that, but it's also like, as an industry, like what we need a mind shift, you know, we need to kind of change our thinking about how we're going about arming, arming reps to do their job. Um, you think about it, right? Like we we had some math and I think we just put it out in a blog post around the, like, if you look at like connect conversion, like total calls and then the connections and conversions, and you break that down, if you have five, 10 connects, five conversions, those other five, four out of those other five are brush offs. Like what could you do with four new opportunities per rep per day being added to your pipeline just by handling one of five objections efficiently yeah. and effectively? And I would also argue that what is the rep doing to cause those brush offs? You know, a lot of it's I call someone and I don't sound like a peer and I just go straight into a pitch, you know? Yep. I'm calling from abstract. We do this, this, and this. Would you like to take a meeting? Like, yep. No, like, hey, my name is Greg, Jason. You run Blissful Prospecting. Reason for my calls, I talk with sales trainers like you that are often struggling with this, this, and this. Is any of that resonating with you today? Yep. I mean, obviously, I might want to work on that a little bit. But the uh, again, make it about your prospect. Don't make it about you. Yeah. No, I love this. This was great, man. I think that. You know, the takeaways here were the mindset piece, the owning the narrative. I love that. The targeting piece, you mentioned relevance and reason. Love that piece. I think this other part around getting creative with how we learn about our market and having a podcast or something where we can invite people to is really interesting. And then, uh, yeah, this stuff around the objections is really cool too. Uh, Okay, so before we take off, I got some rapid fire questions for you that are, that are kind of fun. You ready? Yeah, let's go. (laughs) That was like a really sheepish, like, okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's go. Let's go. Let's knock it out. Let's go, Jason. Um, So this first one's through, uh, think outbound with us. So if you had to choose between phone, email, and social, not that we have to choose, but if you did have to, what do you pick and why? Uh, Phone for sure. Um, email, somebody can ignore me and I don't really, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a huge fan of social media. Um, so I always kind of defer back to the phone. What is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? (sighs) Slide decks, um, should never be used. (laughs) Um, no, serious, on all seriousness, no. Um, I really believe introverts make the best salespeople. And I've had a lot of heated conversations with folks around that not being true, but I'm a firm believer of introverts are the best salespeople. 
Yeah, I'm an introvert too, man. Uh, lastly, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales rep? I would, I would spend significantly less time worrying about the product features and spend exponentially more time focused on our buyer persona and what they care about. Yeah, that's great advice. This has been awesome, Greg. Keep your eyes out. I don't know when this is going live, but if you're listening, keep your eyes out. We're going to be doing a bunch of webinars together that should be a lot of fun. Um, where can people go to learn about you and Abstract? Yeah, so Greg Refner's on LinkedIn. My email address is greg at abstract.ai. And uh, for anybody who wants to cold call me, my phone number is 530-306-4078. And uh, yeah, call me and give me your best shot. <laughs> <laughs>